Thanks. You can take your seats. So we're going to look today at a passage from Hebrews 13, uh, which at first blush could seem to you just to to be a list of things to do. And there's certainly things here that God um, wants us to uh, to do. Um, uh, But I I think um, for a couple of reasons this morning, it would be more helpful to look at how what God promises in the midst of this uh, list. Um, and, uh, I know this congregation well enough to know that, uh, there's a limit about how many things you're willing to do and to be told that you're going to do. And so lists better be short or you won't pay attention. You'll just reject it. So, um, but as we look at, as we look at this text today, I think, uh, um, well, the Lord will speak to us as we, uh, as we think about his presence and his help and his care for us. So in light of that, let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll read the text. Lord, we thank you today that um, your, your yoke is easy and your burden is light uh, because you have borne the yoke and you have borne the burden of sin and death for us. And so I pray today that as we think about uh, these things that you desire to see in your people and in the community of your believers, that uh, you would bless us with a sense of your provision and uh, your care for us. Lord, I pray today for uh, those who feel weak, for those who feel lonely, uh, for those who um, feel overwhelmed, uh, that you would meet and provide. Help us today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Hebrews 13, 1 through 8, and then verses 15 to 16. The text is in the bulletin on the screens behind me. This is God's word, and we should hear it. And respond to it as such this morning. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And if you get a chance today as you leave, uh, the children's bulletin for the three-year-olds that's out there in the uh, 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 rack as you go out the door, there's a great picture on it, on the front of it, of a city uh, where... People are driving cars. People are walking up and down the street. Some guys have briefcases, that kind of stuff. And it says, pick out the two angels that are in this picture. And so I'm looking at it this morning thinking, so how would you know which one's an angel? Nobody in the picture has a a halo. Nobody in the picture has wings on their backs. And so it'll be interesting to see what three-year-olds pick. Maybe they can tell angels better than I can, but, uh, I, I could, you know, y'all all could be angels, but I know that's not true. So I, I don't, anyway, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty crazy, right? So do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in a prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today 
and forever. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So um, uh, we are uh, somewhere on the spectrum of being empty nesters. You know, we, we're, kids are coming and going, uh, but for most of the time we are, uh, we're empty nesters. And it's a funny thing because when, when our kids were little and um, they were all underfoot, one of the things that we realized with, with three uh, uh, little ones was uh, as much as we loved them unconditionally and as much as we were uh, as grace-oriented towards three little sinners, three big little sinners as you could be, um, we had to have some order in the house or we might not have a house. When we had to have some, some organization to what was going on there or uh, because we our goal was love, but we needed a little order in our house so that we could love, you know, and not hate. So one of the things that was uh, important about that is we decided to come up with our, a list of uh, things that were required uh, of, of all of us. And we put it on the refrigerator and they were things like no hitting, you know, no hitting, <laughs> no stabbing, uh, which you laugh at that, but that was... Uh, that was kind of a subset of, of hitting because, you know, w- the kids realize when you hit with your hand, that hurts your hand. But when you stab somebody, that doesn't hurt. <laughs> that doesn't hurt you, right? So why not, why not do that instead? So we had to make that a specific, no stabbing. Uh, uh, a lot of, lot of, you know, a lot of pencils and pens were, were used for that. Um, we also had to in, include on the list that, uh, you know, obey immediately that we're not going to ask twice. Now, that was the hardest one to implement because all of our kids like to argue. And uh, and I would tell them, I'm like, you know, we can have an argument about this, you know, uh, after you've done what I've asked you to do. But as a four-year-old, uh, you don't get a big say in whether you brush your teeth or not. <laughs> right? You don't You don't get a big say in... Uh, th- those kinds of things, right? And so, um, so we uh, the thing the thing about it is when you when you come at a list like that, uh, and different people will look at the list different ways. One of our kids looked at it as an opportunity to achieve. There's the standard. I will meet it, and I will win all the accolades for that. The uh, another one was uh, I'm never going to meet any of these, so why bother? <laughs> right. Uh, and a third one was I'll just be cute because cuteness trumps obedience. <laughs> right. Right. Um, the thing is, what we realized about that and what I think is the, the, the ultimate truth in that is everybody needs rules and everybody needs some guardrails, you know, to keep them on the road and that sort of stuff. But the fact is, I did not care so much about the list and the keeping of the list as much as I cared about the fact that uh, somehow or other we had to communicate through this that there was a person 
a loving person, a person who was for them behind the rules. And that I didn't want them to have a relationship with the list. I wanted them to have a relationship with me, their mother. And and, and as as a result of that, that that would be the thing that would motivate uh, some sort of compliance with the list. Because they needed to be convinced that these weren't just random things that we came up with or that we weren't just these giant killjoys and that we existed only to say no. But what we were doing here is that this was a way, just like feeding them, just like uh, cuddling them, just like reading to them, this was a way to love them. Because these rules would make us uh, a more flourishing (laughs) and a more... um, uh, well, just a better family, right? So anytime we come at a list of rules in the scriptures, we need to, I'm sure that there are uh, any number of reactions to that. Uh, when I read this list, some of you may be saying, well, I do pretty good at this one, not so good at that one. Or maybe you're re- you read these and you think, I fail miserably at some of these, and uh, some of these I do uh, okay okay with. And then some of you may be thinking, why do I need to bother with any of this at all? Right? And so as the writer uh, to this group of Hebrew Christians is down to the end of the book, he is telling them certain things that should be true, certain things that should mark uh, individuals and certainly a community of believers. Uh, and so as we look at this this morning, that's the thing that we need to, to kind of focus our attention on. But rather than focus our attention upon the list, because the truth is some of you will be better at hospitality than others. Some of you will, will be better at uh, um, honoring your leaders than others. Some of you will be better and more focused in worship than others, right? And so, so, so the fact is, as, as we look at this, this is not a list for, you know, the achievers or the less achievers among us. This is a list of things that we look at as the whole body thinks about our life in the world. And as this particular body thought about its life in the world, uh, some things that uh, the writer here wants to be true of that, right? So, so the, the, the thing that you have to see about this is, is that as we read the text, it's not so much about these are the things that we do, uh, but it is about the God who is literally here, as you see the, the way the text is printed and in the bulletin, right there in the middle, right? I will never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Right? That's kind of the ground underneath all of this, right? This is the thing that, uh, uh, that, uh, guides us. This is the thing that, uh, uh, regardless, before you get to any place where you take steps towards hospitality or take steps towards starting a prison ministry or taking steps towards anything like that, you have to begin there. When God gives the Ten Commandments there on Mount Sinai, He doesn't just show up on the mountain and say, I'm God, you're not, do this. He says, I am the God who delivered you out of bondage. 
So God has already acted in grace and mercy towards us first. So before we do anything, before we believe anything, before we say anything, before we take any action, the ground of the gospel, the good news that we have is that God has acted towards us first in grace and mercy. In fact, even before we might have even known who he was or even been aware that he was. And so the promise of God here, the word that is true of him, grounds everything about us, right? As we, as, as Shang led us in, in praying earlier, you know, we, we prayed, right, for Western Presbyterian Church that we would know that God is good and that all good things come from his hand. Now, you know, you can read that and just think, you know, that is Sunday school Christianese pablum. But I'm here to tell you, if you don't believe that, if you don't rest in that, you open yourself up to cynicism, to hardness, to bitterness, to fear. Because the truth of the matter is what's going on in the world around us, as we see here, I mean, obviously they have friends who are in prison. Obviously they have friends nearby who are being mistreated. Uh, why would you say, I will not fear what man can do to me unless, unless there's a man, men out there who might do something terrible to you, right? And so if, if, if what we think as we face these sorts of things is I am all alone, I am left here on my, with my own resources, my own things that I have, my own abilities, my own wits, my own gifts, and this is all I got to navigate this. And on top of that, there seems to be this God who is making these demands on me. It's no wonder fear, anger, bitterness, Anxiety drives so much of what's true of us, right? This week, um, I had an opportunity to, to meet with someone and, uh, who's new in the faith, and they wanted to talk to me about just all of that. And uh, one of the things he asked me right off the, ver- the very beginning of our conversation was, do you pray? Which, you know... Um, when you ask a pastor that, that's a, actually, it's part of my job, right? Uh, and he said, well, how do you do it? And I said, well, I, I have two things that I think about about the way I pray. One is I have three times a week where I shut my door, turn off my phone, and I just pray. I don't do anything else. Uh, not for really long, you know, I'm not, not and, and it's not at 3.30 in the morning or anything like that, but for three times a week I do that. But on top of that, I try to cultivate uh, a um, an awareness, uh, as this text says, uh, that God is with us, right? That he'll never leave us or forsake us. And I think that means he has proximity to me. That means he is close to me. And that means I can interact with him and talk to him uh, all day long. In fact, you can ask my kids that as they were growing up, they might be upstairs in the morning and I would be downstairs and they would be like, who are you talking to? Well, it's either me or God. Because we're the only people in the downstairs part of the house, right? So, um, and, and so the so the, the 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 fact is that's what I, I I try to do. Well, we we went on in the discussion, but the 
what happened to me was I got really distracted by that, thinking about, well, what has been the content of my prayer to God? What's it been like lately? And all of a sudden I was very disturbed because what it's been like is, where are you? What are you doing? Why is this happening? Don't you know we pray about this every single day? Why is this happening? What's going on? Are you going to do something about that? Right? How come this is happening to this person? What good can come out of that? Right? So, so, the, so the fact is, what I realize about that is, uh, is that while I think it's probably a good thing for us to take those kind of complaints to God, the fact is, what's really going on with me is my struggle, and I think for many of us, and I think these people who received this letter, their struggle uh, to hear and to live in the midst of the moment with the certainty and the solid ground underfoot that God is present, that he is for us, that he is our helper. Um, And so I think for many of us, for much of what we do day in and day out, uh, cultivating an awareness of the presence, the loving presence, the gracious presence, the strong presence of the Lord in our lives with us, for us, seeing us, holding us, leading us, guiding us, uh, is, is the real issue in terms of us obeying the things that God says for us to do. And so let's, let's look at these things, right? So he, he says he wants brotherly love to continue. That is, within the church, that we would care for one another, uh, that we would be with and for one another, to practice hospitality. And again, this hospitality is not uh, to people that, you know, this is not having your best friend over for coffee. This is hospitality to strangers, right? Hospitality to people that you don't, uh, uh, that you don't know, right? Uh, prisoners. And the reason why he mentions prisoners is because, um, you know, one of the ways, if you're living in a culture that is uh, imprisoning Christians, one of the ways you can figure out who the other Christians are is who comes to see the people in prison, right? And so when you visit prisoners, it's not just doing your Christian duty. You're actually taking a risk because you're identifying with people who are in prison because they're followers of Christ. You identify with people who are mistreated, um, and one of the great things about identifying with people who are mistreated is because when I th- when I think of the list of people who are mistreated, who's at the top of that list? Well, I am. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Look, you know, walk a mile in my shoes, right? So, but really, what that's what that's getting at is that is causing within us because we have this confidence in who God is for us. It gives us a tiny bit of mercy and a tiny bit of compassion to see who's really being mistreated in the world, right? Sexual purity, right? Contentment. Well, contentment, who has any kind of idea of what contentment is, right? I mean, I, 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 I can't remember the last time I thought I was content. I used to get content by eating big meals. And as you age, one of the things you realize is that uh, that's the pathway to discontentment, right? 
discipleship, that we would, that we would find uh, believers who are, uh, have a sense of the presence and the love of God in their lives, and we would look for how Jesus shows up and changes them and, and follow in that example, that we would worship, that we would, we would offer with our lips praise to the one who is for us, who is with us, and in all of that, that we would be quick to sacrifice because God's pleased with that, Right? That's quite a list. Uh, and, and, and the thing that I note about uh, this list uh, uh, in the end is almost every aspect of this list has an orientation in it towards others. Even contentment is that I would not love money so much that I would hoard it, but that I would be generous, right? So, so these things, in, in a way, orient us uh, uh, outside of ourselves uh, to those uh, people who are around us, right? Next slide. So the, the thing that I think keeps us from being able to do this is that I think we love little because we're not sure we have been loved, right? I mean, nothing could be, uh, nothing could be more uh, debilitating uh, than to realize that there's no one in the world to love you. Nothing could be more debilitating to be put under some sort of compulsion to have to be or to do something with just your own resources without a God there who is for you, right? And so brotherly love is, is going to be hard to come by if all we can think about is ourselves. And orphans, people who have no, uh, no one uh, to love them, who have no sense that God is for them or loves them, that he is their father, that he is for them, uh, are not going to be very loving towards others. We become unaware of the suffering of others because we do not believe that Jesus is for us, right? Um, and 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 so when I think that Jesus is not for me and I look around me and there's suffering around me, the suffering of others doesn't matter a whole lot because, um, you know, look at me. I need other, I, I'm the suffering one. I need you people to <laughs> be the ones that's pouring into me rather than seeing that I have a Savior who is for me, who loves me, who has already poured himself out for me. Sexual sin is a symptom and not the disease here because people give way to sexual sin because they don't have fullness of joy and confidence in Christ, right? We're not content because we do not believe in the provision of God. Um, you know, it is a, uh, is a, a profound thing for us to answer the question, you know, uh, will I have enough? Do I have enough? And it would be interesting to poll the congregation for you to, to give God a number uh, on what, the, what number you have to have so you, that would equal contentment. What would that look like? Next slide. Uh, we're unsubmissive to our leaders because we do not believe in the goodness and purpose of Jesus and giving us the leaders we have. 
And this is one of the things that I've always struggled with is because I think, you know, if, if the Lord really was in control and he knew what was going on, he would give me better people to, fo- uh, to uh, better people to follow. Um, and yet uh, the fact is there was some sovereignty of God here at work that he gives you uh, the, the leaders that we have, right? And worship and sacrifice are hard to come by when Jesus seems distant and uncaring. Because then what it, what it seems that we have here is just a lot of religious exercise, just a lot of uh, doing and trying to achieve and to accomplish something, uh, either to establish our own righteousness or to get somebody else to notice or out of guilt because we're, we're failing in other areas. And so we, we rush hard to, to kind of uh, make up for that. So what are we to what are we to do with this? Well, here's here's the thing. We need to look at the promise of God and we need to see how the promise of God impacts us and affects us, not by removing us from a sinful world, not by taking us out of a broken situation, not by suddenly uh, bringing uh, heaven to earth uh, uh, all of a sudden. Rather, how do we experience the presence and the love of God? How do we experience this promise, right, that he's our helper, we will not fear what can man do to us, that he will never leave us nor forsake us when it feels like he's left us and he's forsaken us? Right? Now, let's, let's be clear about that. God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is always with us. He is always for us. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, uh, and forever. His determination to save you, his grace, his mercy, his power, his strength has not waned, and it will not wane. It does not weaken. It does not tire. His determination, his heart is there all the time. So if those things are true, it says it in the Bible, right? I'm not just up here telling you that. That's what God says about himself to us, right? Then why is it uh, that we, uh, you can go back, Liz. Why is it that we uh, have uh, such a, a terrible time taking him at his word? Why is that? Well, first of all, let me give you a little comfort about that. The Bible is the story of people not taking God at his word. So that's it. So you're, you're, you're not unique in that. You're not the only person who's ever lived who's like struggled with this, right? God tells Adam and Eve in the garden, look, man, you got the whole garden. I'm here with you. This is going to be awesome. You got each other. You got all these wonderful animals, all these wonderful plants. It's beautiful. No thorns, no mosquitoes. Everything's terrific. And yet, is there contentment? Is there certainty that God's for them? God comes and delivers his people with a mighty hand. He splits the Red Sea. The, 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 the people go through on dry land and they're on the other side and they see the dead bodies of their oppressors floating in the water. How could you doubt that God has done terribly magnificent, powerful things on your behalf? And what happens? You get a little thirsty. You get a little hungry. You get a little afraid. Right? The disciples. 
Jesus tells them, I've got to die and I'll rise again. And Jesus has to go find them behind a locked door. Right? So the, so the truth of the matter is, you know, so, so don't feel bad that you have a hard time taking God at his word. If, if you have trouble taking God at his word, if you have trouble this morning believing that he is for you and that he is with you in the midst of your trouble and your, your disappointments and, and your diseases and your struggles and all of those kinds of things, you're in great company. The saints of old <laughs> are right there with you. They know exactly what that's like. And in fact, your unbelief and your struggle doesn't catch God off guard. He knows that about you, right? God doesn't put us in situations that are difficult to, to test us so he can see how we'll do. I mean, if he, he knows that already, right? He puts us in these kind of situations to challenge us to see where we really are. And in the midst of that, to cry out to him, I need you to help me believe what you say. Right? So the Lord promises to never leave us or forsake us. There is no place we can go, no situation we can find ourselves in, no matter how difficult, painful, that the Lord's not there. Just because something is hard, just because something is difficult, just because something is mystifying, just because something, at least in my way of thinking, doesn't make any sense, doesn't mean that God is somehow absent. Right? We need a robust kind of understanding that suffering does not cancel out the presence of God. Right? In fact, what the New Testament tells us is, is that suffering helps us know that our God is with us and is for us, that we fellowship with our God in suffering because he was a sufferer, right? We read that he is our helper. And, you know, one of the things that I think about that is, uh, um, well, a couple of things that jump out at me about that. One is uh, I detest asking for help. I will, I will, I, I will embarrass myself because I'm embarrassed to ask for help. Now, one of the great things about uh, this, uh, the, where I work uh, here in this building is that we have um, a, uh, a system whereby you have to take a card and hold it up to the, the lock to get the door to open. Very simple, right? The problem with that is I lose those cards. I lose them all the time. And it's not like I lose them and then I find them later. I just flat out lose them. I don't know how I did it. But one day this week, I opened the door. I'm always the first one here. I opened the door and by 10 o'clock, this was at 7, by 10 o'clock, I couldn't find the card. Now, I'd only been in my office and the bathroom. Hadn't been anywhere else in the building. I tore the place apart. And then I had to go humiliate myself to ask Ann and Kristen, hey, I need another card. And Ann was about to say, what happened to your other one? And I guess she could tell from the look on my face that that question wasn't going to go well, right? 
But I was humiliated to have to ask for help. Because, well, if you have to ask for help, that must mean you need help. And who wants to need help? So when I find myself in a situation where I can't do it unless I have help, what's the promise of God? I'm your helper. The Lord is our help, right? Next slide. We read, too, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you can read that and think, well, what what does that mean? Because, you know, things change and people change and needs change. Well, in the midst of that, what you have to see is, is that Jesus is stubbornly committed to loving his people and seeing to it that they're saved and that he gets them. That he, that he redeems them, that he forms them into his own image, and that he sees them home. And that in the midst of all of that, um, uh, nothing, no matter how difficult the world gets, no matter how difficult my life gets, no matter how painful it gets, his determination to save is unwavering. Two things about that. And one of the things I think about that is, is, you know, there's been a lot of news lately in the Christian community about people deconverting. And what that means is people who were kind of celebrity Christians who now come out and say they're not Christians anymore. There's a lot of that. Um, and I, you know, I never liked celebrities anyway. And so I take, I take a little bit of, well, anyway, I just think uh, as, I, as I read the reasons why people say, they're blowing off the faith. You know what I never hear anybody say? Jesus let me down. Because I think they know uh, down deep inside that, you know, Christians let them down. The church lets them down. Uh, they let themselves down. But Jesus doesn't let us down. Now, now there might be somebody out there, you might know somebody who would say, yeah, Jesus, you know, disappointed me, God disappointed me or something like that. But really, really? He's stubborn. And that is a good quality to have towards people who wonder, people who struggle to believe. He will see us through to the end and nothing keeps that from happening. When, uh, when, when we had these little children uh, in our house, one of the things that we would try to do is pin them up in spaces, you know, so that uh, uh, they couldn't get out and, and roam the house and, and do a lot of damage. And so when my uh, middle child was, uh, he was like 18 months old, he was grossly o- overweight and uh, he weighed 36 pounds when he was a year old. Um, he liked to eat. And uh, we would put him in his room and we would put one of those things. I think they're illegal now because they probably, you know, do something terrible. But those things you put in the door and you push the thing down, the, door, the things squeeze out and they're about this high and they keep little kids from getting out. Well, our other kids would climb over it. But he was too fat to climb over it. So we thought this was a good thing, right? So what he would do is he would sit there and do this with his chest. for as long as it took until the thing was knocked out on the floor. And he would have a big purple mark right here in the middle of his chest where he bruised himself. 
He didn't care. Nothing was going to keep him from not knocking that door out. And he did it every time. Now, we knew it would take him about 30 minutes to do it. And so you could run around and get your stuff done until he knocked it uh, down the whole way. Here's the thing. Jesus is a battering ram of grace. He's a battering ram of determination. And you can't stop him. I can't stop him. And if you have a Jesus who is too weak, who throws in the towel, your Jesus is not fierce enough because the Jesus of the Bible is so fierce, nothing keeps him from saving his people. Not sin, not death, not even our own wandering hearts, right? So it is so hard to believe in the moment of crisis or anxiety that Jesus is all these things because the fact of the matter is believing is not seeing, right? What happens to us is um, most of what our lives are like when difficulties come our way, when challenges come our way, what we tend to think faith means at that moment is that God is supposed to keep these things from happening to me rather than what God is doing is is seeing me through these things. And so our anxiety comes from the confusion about what it means to be redeemed, what it means to have salvation, what it means to have presence with us, right? It means that God is with us and for this, for us, precisely in those places and those moments where it is most difficult for us to believe that he is that. Hear these words of institution. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table, and as they were eating, he took bread, And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's use this confession of sin uh, that's printed uh, in the bulletin on the screens behind me. You have declared, O God, the good news, but we have been slow to listen. Lord, forgive our distant, doubting hearts. At times we seek your blessing, but have no love for you. We are like those who witnessed Jesus' miracles of healing and heard his proclamation, yet somehow spurned belief. We confess that our dull unbelief tempts others and offends you. Heavenly Father, forgive us our sin. Renew us in your spirit that with open hearts we may turn to Jesus and live his good life and longing for your kingdom's coming. Amen.
believer, hear these words of encouragement. Who is a God like our God, a pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. The scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name and he gave it to his disciples. We gather as the people of God in a broken and sinful world and broken and sinful bodies looking, seeking, hoping in the one who says he is with us and he is for us. And so in the midst of all of our struggle and all of our challenges and all of our unbelief, one thing stands true, the objective reality that Jesus has lived, Jesus has died, Jesus has risen again, and Jesus is coming. Those things stand true objectively all the time. And so the Lord gives us something that is physical and tangible to remind us in the midst of the swirl that is our lives that that's true. Now, maybe today you would take a slowing down of the swirl. Maybe you would take, um, you would trade his presence. You would trade his determination to save for just a little bit of comfort, relief, peace. In the sense that you don't really live in a sinful, broken world any longer. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Lord who sat in that upper room and took this bread and gave it to tempted and weak men. Gives to you today, in the midst of your life and my life, tokens of his sacrifice. I know you had trouble believing it this week. Maybe you didn't have trouble believing it this week. Maybe you didn't even think about it this week. Well, he thought about you and his determination to be for you is unwavering. And so he gives us today this opportunity to come together to confess by our actions, by taking the bread and the cup, that the Lord is our helper. What can man do to us? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. If that's your hope, even if it's a weak hope, if that's your uh, joy, even if it's a weak joy, if that's what you believe, even if sometimes it seems like it's hard to believe, You profess that to a body of believers somewhere. Jesus is here today. He is with you, and he wants to nourish your soul in hope, in joy, and in reminding you and me that the ground we walk on is solid ground because Jesus makes it that way, because he is with us, because he is our way. As uh, the elders and deacons come down front this morning to assist me, let me remind you that uh, the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, all the bread uh, is bread that is gluten-free.